Um, as Julie mentioned, uh, we are continuing our sermon series on the Gospel of John. And um, if you remember uh, last week, uh, we looked at how Jesus um, approached these group of people called the invalids, right? And uh, to the youth, I basically told them that these are basically all the rejects, right, in society. Um, these are all people that are rejected. They're all the paralyzed people, all the people that have certain defects, and they're pretty much cast out in society. I mean, they're pretty much living with the animals. They're out of the, um, the city walls. And uh, Jesus approaches them, and he has this uh, particular interaction with one uh, invalid, uh, a guy who's been uh, paralyzed for about 38 years of his life. And um, Jesus basically heals them, right? That's the uh, ultimate final result. Um, and the Jews, they get really mad at him, right? Why? Because on this particular day, it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they truly believe that you should not do a single ounce of work. Like you should not even lift your finger. And so not only did Jesus heal this man on the Sabbath, which is why they were mad, but he also commanded this man to pick up his own bed and carry it along. And so they were like, who even commanded you to do work on this Sabbath day? And they were so mad and they wanted to kill him. And so Jesus ultimately concludes it with him uh, telling them, hey, me and my father, we are working what? endlessly. We are working nonstop. It is a nonstop process. We don't rest. And I and my father, we are working constantly. And he was making this claim that I and the father are one and I am God. And he continues on in this passage in making these bold claims before his people. To make this claim that he does have authority to do these things. And he has authority to say all these things because he is God. So let's look into our passage. Um, today, uh, my PowerPoint is actually very minimal. Um, so hopefully, I don't know, that doesn't deter you from taking good notes. Uh, <laughs> but I just had pretty much just a passage, so... Um, for us to just kind of look and um, receive God's word together. So uh, in today's uh, passage, uh, okay, well, verse 19 to 20. Um, okay, this is, <laughs> all right. Um, when we look at uh, verses 19 to 20, what do we see? We see there is the unity of the Father and the Son, which is why we have uh, Jesus making these claims. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Um. Jesus is making a super big, bold claim here. He's equating himself to God. And what is he saying? He's saying that there is a relationship between him and God the Father where he can do everything that, the, uh, that God does because it's within his authority to do whatever he sees the Father doing. But not only that, but the Father loves him continuously. Um, there is this deep relationship between the two. And you see, Jesus Christ can only operate within the confines of what the God the Father does. Meaning, 
God the Father cannot sin. Therefore, Jesus cannot sin. Um, Jesus doesn't do things on his own initiative, but he does it from uh, the directives from God the Father. He only does what he sees his Father doing. In other words, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, everything I am doing is everything that the Father is doing or is capable of doing. And that is a pretty big statement. He's saying then, he's equating himself to God. You know what's so amazing about this statement? There's no division within the Godhead. What do we see in throughout the Gospel of John and throughout Scripture? We see the emphasis of the Trinity, of the, of the Godhead. And John is making it clear. For us to know God the Father, we need to know God the Son. And is this something we can say personally? Everything I see the Father doing, I do? No, we can't. I can't say that, right? Because if I said that, that would mean that I am also perfect like God. I'm equating myself to Him. Um, you know, one of the distinctive things about uh, me as a person that I think most people can commonly say about me is that uh, I have a very deep voice, right? You can probably hear it in my voice right now. And, um, you know, I, I didn't always sound like this. Um, you know, there, were, there was a point where I actually had a high-pitched voice, uh, believe it or not. And um, what's really crazy is I remember the exact moment where my voice changed. Um, and my voice, I'm not even kidding you, it changed very rapidly, okay? So it went from, like, really high like this to, like, high, right? And um, it happened in one week. I'm not even kidding you. It didn't take me, like, a month or, like, a summer. One week, I went from high to high, right? Um, so what happened was, uh, I, I'm, I grew up in Northern California, and my mom uh, sent me and my brothers to L.A. Uh, with my cousins. We went on this one-week trip, so my mom stayed home. I went with my family, or my cousins. Spent the whole week there, and I came back, so I said, bye, mom, and I came in with, hi, mom, and my mom literally flipped out, right? She just, she freaked out. She's like, where's my baby? She really thought I was, like, joking, like, or whatever, like I was faking, I was like, no, this is your baby, right, and, and my mom was just so sad, I mean, like I was like 12 years old, right, like imagine your 12-year-olds having like a, a voice of a 40-year-old, right, and, um, and my mom was freaking out, and um, the reason why I tell you this story is um, because, um, you know, back then we had a, a home phone, right, a landline in our house, and our phone would ring like all the time, and I don't know why, but my dad was always super lazy. He never wanted to pick up the phone. And me being the youngest son in the whole house, he would always yell, Einstein, pick up the phone. I would like run through the whole house. And then like, the phone is like right next to my dad. I would pick up the phone. I'd be like, hello. And I kid you not, every single time, hi, Mr. Han. Like, everyone believed that I was my dad. The moment is, hello. Uh, hi, Mr. Han. Uh, we have this great, I'm from whatever, this cable company. We, we have this great upgrade offer. May I just, uh, you know, uh, one second, let me give the phone to my dad. And every time they'd be like, huh? Oh, uh, okay, sure. And I give it to my dad, and he goes, hello? I'm not interested. Bye. <laughs> Boop. And I was like, man, he could have just picked up the phone and just did those things. And eventually my dad started picking up on it. Like, oh, wow, these people really do believe you're me. He says, next time they call you, just say I'm not interested. <laughs> why, why give me the phone? And guess what? It really worked. I would pick up the phone. Hello? Hi, Mr. Han. You know, I, I'm from whatever company. I have this great insurance plan for you. But would you like to upgrade your plan? I'm not interested. 
oh, we're very sorry, and we understand. We'll hope you have a great day. Deek. I was like, what the? That's crazy. They never asked, like, are you Mr. Uh, Mr. Sung Young Han or whatever? They just believed that I was my dad. And I had this authority to almost act on behalf of my own father just because of this voice that I had. It was either a curse or a blessing or however you looked at it. And it was the worst because at times they would, like, I would say I'm not interested. But, 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 but just, just wait, just wait that second. Let me tell you, uh, you, you know, uh, I have all these great things. And I, I was such a timid young boy that I, I couldn't cut them up. Like, uh, and I would have to wait there for 30 minutes. Like, uh, I'm still not interested. Oh, but, 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 but. And I was like, oh, man, Dad, I hate you, you know. And, uh, <laughs> um, but I had that authority. But just because I had that voice, did that give me all authority to do everything in my father's name? No. I couldn't drive a car if I wanted to. Right? Imagine I'm driving down the freeway and a cop pulls me over and goes, Hi, what's your name? My name is, you know, my dad's name was Sung Young. I'm Sung Young. I have a face of a 12-year-old, right? I'm not going to fool him just with my voice. Or I couldn't go to a grocery store and just buy a lottery ticket just based off of the authority of my voice. I'd like a lottery ticket, please. No. Or I couldn't go to the movie theaters and buy a rated R movie. I didn't have the authority completely of my dad. Well, Jesus had complete authority because he is truly the Son of God. And he is God. You see, if the Son can do everything that the Father does, what does it mean? It means that he also is omniscient. He also is all-powerful, omnipresent, infinite. It means he is God. And Jesus wasn't just saying, I can just act on his authority and, and do like these small things. He's saying, no, I can do everything that I've seen the Father doing. I can do it all. You know, oftentimes um, when I see even families, uh, oftentimes I see characteristics, right, of children uh, from their parents. It's for that same reason we have this common phrase um, that goes like this. Like father, like, you guys know? Son, right? It's a very common um, saying, and I think it's so true. And oftentimes I hear even you parents talking like this. You know my son? Man, he's, he's such a smart guy. He got that from daddy. <laughs> but man, I got to tell you this. He's also super stubborn. He got that from mommy. <laughs> right? we always, I, I hear that all the time, whether it's you know, a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and it's so true. We take on certain characteristics that resemble our parents. right? But never have we met like a child and be like, you are your dad, or you are your mom. Like, ident- like, you are that you can act on their behalf. No one ever approached me and just thought I was my dad. On the phone, I deceived them, but never in person. Like, oh, you're not Mr. Han. Where's your dad? Well, Jesus fully was able to act on the Father's authority because he is God. If we are to know God fully, If we want to know God the Father, we've got to know God the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is the Son who reveals the Father. Next, what we see is that Jesus, he acts on the Father's authority. And completely in everything that according to God's will, Jesus is entrusted by the Father. Um, We see his authority. In verse 21 to 22, it says this. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. See, there's only certain things that God can do that no one else can do. Uh, there's a, three words that rhymes, um, that I picked this from someone else, um, that only God can do. God is in, in control of the womb. He's in control of the tomb. He's in, in control of our doom, right? <laughs> he's in control of all these three things. No one else is control. I guess you can kind of, like, you know, kill someone, take their life, but you cannot give them life again. Only God can do that. The womb, tomb, and doom. And Jesus says, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. See, only God can do that. And Jesus is making a very strong claim here to his Godship. That he has also the authority. And Jesus just proved this, right? He's not just making this claim out of just thin air. What did he just do? He healed an invalid guy just by telling him to pick up his mat. Be healed. And he's healed. He gives life to whom he will. He has sovereignty. John does this. Uh, uh, Jesus does this again in a couple chapters later in John 11. He raises Lazarus just with his voice. That's only something God can do. No doctor can just do that. No human being. Only God gives, has that power to raise someone from the dead. To give life. Not only is Jesus physically able to give life to the dead, he's able to give us a spiritual life. We've all been spiritually dead before we have met Christ, which is why in John 3, 16, uh, John 3, we learn about being reborn again. It's through Christ that we're reborn. We have this new life that is found through Jesus Christ. And we experience his life-giving presence through prayer and through his word. And his presence should cause a response within us. And this is our final point, okay? Is that there is a response to God. There's three responses that we can give to him. Verse 20 through 24 says this. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The first response that we should be so compelled to do is worship him. Verse 23 is, makes it very clear. The reason why is that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Um, and even in verse 20, what does he say? He says that so that you may marvel Greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel, that you may honor the Son. One of the things I want to ask you, church, is do you worship Jesus or do you worship other things? When you are in confrontation with the Son, are you drawn to the Father? Or is something else distracting you from the Son? Secondly, what does it tell us? To have faith in him. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, God's son came to give life. And simply believing him, having faith in him, the Bible promises 
that those who are condemned for sin do not receive judgment, but rather receive eternal life through the blood of Christ. Over and over again, as we've been looking in John's, uh, John's gospel, it's been so clear that he has written it for this single purpose so that people would believe in Jesus and would have eternal life. We can only experience this eternal life and this relationship with God by having faith in Jesus. And that is how we experience our forgiveness and new life through Christ. Um, And what does this passage tell us? It tells us that this eternal life is made available immediately upon faith. It's not something that one has to develop um, or um, you know, continue some type of training or do more good works to be saved. His promise is true and it stands firm. It says, He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever believes in Him who has sent me has eternal life. It is immediate. It is through Christ. It is done and it is immediate. Through our faith in Jesus. We have a new life in Christ. A new life for all of our perspectives, our relationships with people, perspectives on our parents, perspectives on marriage, perspectives on life, work, school. They're all looked at and changed within this new lens of our relationship in Christ. Not only that, but we have this assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. If He isn't the Son of God, then we really are not saved. It's only through Christ that we're saved. If Christ can work within the scope of the Father, if He's doing everything that He sees within the Father, then that means He has the authority then to give not only the physical life, but eternal life. If Jesus says you are forgiven, that means God the Father is also saying you're forgiven. You see, Jesus is not working outside the boundaries of God the Father, but He's working everything in alignment with him. It is looking to Christ that we have seen the Father. Later on in our, uh, in our series, we'll see this conversation between Philip and Jesus. And Philip approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, would you show us the Father? Just show us. That's all we need. And Jesus is so perplexed. And he responds to him in uh, verse 9 of chapter 14. He says to him, Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, when we look to the Son, we see the Father. Have faith in Him. Lastly, look to the Son and magnify Him in everything that we do. Um, Jesus, He revealed the Father. And it is only through Christ that we can know God the Father. He is the bridge And it is through Christ that we may continue to marvel in God and to worship Him. And you see, this should drive us and cause us to want to reveal the Son as well unto others. To reveal the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has the authority to save unto the world so that they would know God the Father. Romans 10 Verse 14 to 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him 
of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the news. How can anyone know God without us telling them about who he is? Let us be uh, so convicted into wanting to share the good news of Christ into the world. I was thinking, how can we apply this then as a church? Um, I think for parents, as I was thinking about this passage, as God the Father and the Son have this deep inner working relationship of almost like apprenticeship, of where Jesus is alongside, walking alongside the Father, seeing everything that he's doing. You know, back then, um, as a son, you didn't have to think about what you were going to do in life. You didn't have to think, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be, uh, if I want to be a farmer, or I want to be a fisherman. Guess what? If your dad was a fisherman, you too were a fisherman. You just followed, and, and, and that was it. It was preordained for you that you would be following in your father's footsteps. And when I look at that imagery, I can't help but think how beautiful would it be if we as parents, or I, sorry, I shouldn't say we, uh, <laughs> horrible habit. Um, but you as parents would do that as well with your kids, to walk alongside your children's faith, to not just discipline them in having general etiquette in life or how to be a good student or um, you know, how to attend church or whatnot, but to teach and model what it means to be a believer. And to show them what a passionate lover of Christ looks like. To show them what a passionate worshiper looks like, even on Sundays or throughout the week, at work, in your homes. And you know, kids, they do learn a lot. They're absorbing all these different things, even teenagers. You know, kids are learning from outside influences on what it means to be a man or a woman. They're learning on what it means to be successful or unsuccessful. Things like, oh, you got to get good grades. And so they're tempted to even do things that their friends do, like cheating on tests or whatever. And that is what they're basing their success on. Or things like when they even look at magazines or maybe social media, Instagram, and all these different things. What beauty looks like and what, what it means to be ugly. Or what good morals and bad morals look like. And they're learning all this from outside influences. More than anything, I, I do believe that kids do learn from their parents. Whether you believe it or not. And I think that makes it more um, evident on why it needs to be um, treated with such care in raising children. You know, I think it makes sense sometimes when I see kids... Um, you know, we see this all the time, using profanity. Go, man, I wonder why they like that. And then you spend some time with their parents, and they use the same language. The kids are learning from the parents. Or even here at church, I often wonder, why isn't a kid singing in worship? Why isn't a kid paying attention during the preaching of God's word? And I wonder if, it's a big if, if maybe they're learning that from parents. If maybe that is being modeled to them in that way. And I think what better way 
to teach our own kids under God's guidance and by modeling and reflecting godliness to our kids. Reflecting and revealing who the Son is unto these kids. So again, let's model what a faithful member of church looks like. Let's model what a faithful follower of Christ looks like. What it looks like to be a passionate worshiper and lover of God. Even things like maybe taking notes and not being distracted on your phones. And, you know, um, and that's a common thing I actually see with youth students, like looking at their phones. And I wonder if they're just imitating parents and maybe checking like NFL fantasy or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, I know that's a real temptation. Um, let's model that. Students, how can you model this as well? You can magnify God in your friendships and studying. Um, about not cheating on tests or not stealing. Um, I know a common temptation with young kids as they have no money and they hang out with friends is, I remember when I was a young kid, I realized, wow, I could save a couple of bucks by getting a water cup and filling it with Sprite, almost the same color, right? Is, that's stealing, right? Um, but how about this? In your discipleship and training here at church, that is modeling that as well. Being teachable. Not only in the youth group or in the children's ministry or whatnot, but under your parents' leadership, of letting them disciple you and to have uh, leadership over your life. Some of you youth students are stubborn. and You don't want to listen to your parents. Listen to them, knowing that this is God's guidance over your life, that they love you and want the best, but not only that, want to guide you in Christ-likeness. So let's look to the Son, let's look to the Father. As we fix our eyes upon Jesus, I believe we'll be compelled to obey the Son. And we will be drawn to magnify Him. There's a song I want to close with. It is this hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Um, Very beautiful song. And I thought how fitting it would be if we ended by singing this together together. as God's people. Hear the words. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We all know this song? Yes? Um, let's sing this all together as one family. Let's sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we look to your son because it is through your son, Jesus, that you, our father, is revealed. We are drawn to you, our God, evermore. Father, Lord, we have heard your message today and we have heard your word. We pray that, God, may we receive it by ever so fixing our eyes on you. That as we fix our eyes on you, that nothing else would matter in this world. That we will be so drawn to you that you would become 
our number one focus in life. The thing that we want to magnify is you, not our own personal lives or our friends, our family. We want to magnify you. And so, God, would you draw us near to your sons, that we would draw near to you, God. So that, God, that we would want to even magnify you in our workplaces, in our families, in our, in our children. And that we would reveal you unto this world. And so, God, may you move within us. And may we move out now as your church, revealing who you are. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.